Well, if you would, go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Nehemiah. Old Testament. Don't feel ashamed if you have to use a table of contents to find your way there. That is perfectly okay. Some of you in this room tonight may have never even heard a sermon or a teaching from the book of Nehemiah, so you're in for a treat. Nehemiah is an amazing book, and God's got some amazing stuff to share with us through Nehemiah's story and what he used him for. So go ahead and make your way there. For us southern people, I feel like it should be Nehemiah, because for some reason in the south you have to add an er to everything. I don't know why that is. You know, I got on my tractor and I drove through the holler down to the river. And it didn't work out because I got bit by a bunch of mosquitoes. So anyway, sorry, lapsing in brain activity there. Probably took it a little farther than it should have went. But it's all right. Nehemiah, like I was saying. Tonight we're kicking off a new series called Swords and Sledgehammers. And I'm excited to share this one with you. I've been holding on to it for a while now. This is something God placed in my heart back in February. And I've been waiting for him to give me the green light on it. And I feel like he has done so. So I'm ready to share some things with you he's put in my heart. As believers... We are all, I'll say again, all charged with the task of helping build the kingdom of God. That's why we go. That's why we share. That's why we baptize. That's why we disciple. That's why we forsake everything in this world to do this work that he has called us to. And so the reason why I think God has placed this series on my heart is because I think some of us need to realize for the first time and some of us just need to be reminded that being in Christ means that our lives are no longer our own. They belong to Jesus. He is our Lord. He is our Master, which means that it is expected of us as servants to do whatever He commands us to do. And He commands that we live for His glory and carry His name throughout all the world. We are builders of His kingdom. That's our task. But this task isn't always an easy one. Quite often it's met with opposition. We have a spiritual advocate in Jesus, but we also have a spiritual adversary in Satan. And I can promise you guys, he's not in favor of the building project that we're a part of. He will do whatever he can to stop it, to hinder progress, to get you to stop working and participating. He doesn't simply dislike the work that we're a part of. He hates it. And so we have an adversary that opposes our work, and at times we have to fight to keep making progress so we're not only builders, we're also warriors for God's kingdom called to have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other, hence the construct for our series, Swords and Sledgehammers. And as we come to the text for tonight, the Israelites are fresh out of a Babylonian exile that God had placed them in because of their sinful disobedience against him. And Nehemiah, who has been serving King Artaxerxes, you got to love the Old Testament because you find all kinds of fun words like that that are full of potential for me to have a word vomit over. So if it happens, we're all just going to smile and keep our heads down and push through it. And we'll make it. And I appreciate your encouragement. Nehemiah wants to know how things are going for his people. So starting in chapter 1, verse 1, God's word says this, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, and I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. 
And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. My title for our message tonight, I'm calling The Self Startup. In the business world, the term startup is used in reference to a company or a project seeking to develop an effective business model. But by definition, the term startup means the action or process of setting something in motion. And I thought what an adequate term to kick off a series focused on being kingdom builders. Some of us are in need of a self-startup because you're not in motion. And really it's time for the church as a whole to start up, to get in motion. There's work to be done, ladies and gentlemen, all around us for the building of God's kingdom. It's taking place now. You do realize that, right? When Jesus comes back, the building's over with. The building is taking place now. We are charged with the task of it. Some of us need to start up because you're not in motion. But there's a progression to follow in that. And that's what I want us to walk through together tonight. The first thing that we need to do is you've got to work on your passion. If you're going to get to work for the kingdom of God, you've got to work on your passion. So I want you to look to somebody sitting next to you and tell them in your best Calvin Klein cologne or perfume voice, passion. Some of y'all need to work on it. Don't act like you ain't never seen the commercials before. How come all the, all the perfume and cologne, it's got to be so weird, right? They got to make it awkward. They keep saying the name of it over and over again. Passion. Passion. And somebody's on a sailboat in the middle of the ocean. And I don't know what that has to do with anything about smelling good, but you got to work on your passion. Nehemiah had asked about the condition and the state of his people and his home, Jerusalem. And what he discovered was the people were scattered and Jerusalem was smoking. Not a very good report that Nehemiah got back about his people in his hometown. They had nowhere to go. It left them vulnerable to even more attacks. Listen, when you're homeless, it leaves you open and vulnerable. And particularly for the kingdom of God, for God's people. They were always being picked on because they had a lot of enemies. And that's the thing about living for Jesus. You're going you're gonna to accrue a lot of enemies along the way. And so for them not to have a home to go to meant that they were open and vulnerable to more attacks. The city wall and its gates were destroyed. It was complete ruin. And I don't know how to relate this to any of us other than imagine you left your house on an ordinary day and you came back home and it had been burned to the ground. Imagine the despair. Imagine the hopelessness. Imagine the, the thought of having to rebuild basically your life all over again. That's what God's people are dealing with. And this is what report Nehemiah has gotten. And so Nehemiah's reaction was well justified, I would think, when he says, I sat down and I mourned and I wept for days. Days! Not just for a few minutes, not just for a couple of hours. Nehemiah said, when I heard about the condition of my people, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And what I found to be true is that oftentimes your reaction will reveal your passion. And let me show you what I'm talking about. Next time you get the chance, look at the reaction of someone when they just get the news that somebody they love deeply passed away. Watch the reaction of an athlete that just got told because of this injury you can't play anymore. 
Watch the reaction of an Alabama fan when someone tells them Auburn will win the Iron Bowl this year. See? Reaction. They're like, <laughs> Oh, man. Watch the reaction of a mama when someone talks negatively about her baby. Ah, uh, squeeze me. <laughs> He's not a big baby. He's just a little head of the percentile. Watch the reaction of a straight-A student when they make an 89 on an assignment. Oh, I'm going to talk to him after class. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take care of this. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody made a mistake. He, he got off on his, on his Scantron or something. I don't know what's going on, but I, I, don't worry. I'm going to talk to him after class. We'll get it taken care of. Reaction, your reaction reveals your passion in a lot of ways. Nehemiah's reaction shows us his passion. He was passionate about his people and his home. But you know what hurts me is that a lot of professing Christians don't seem to have an ounce of passion for the people God has placed around them. Because if we did, can I tell you all something? There wouldn't be such an adoption crisis. If God's people really had a passion for other people around them, there wouldn't be masses upon masses of unreached people still in this world. If God's people really had a passion about the other people that God had placed them in their lives, churches wouldn't go so long in between baptisms. But I'm afraid we don't have a passion for the people around us, not like we should to be kingdom builders. There are times, I guarantee you there are times, and some of you, we can all admit to this, and it may, it may not be you, but it was me at one time. I would be in this category. We, we can go to class, we can go to work, we can go to practice and not say a word to anybody all day long. We can't be kingdom builders if we have no passionate desire to do the work. People that aren't passionate about the work that they're involved in just quite simply won't do it. So how can we expect to be kingdom builders for God, if we're not passionate about the work that he's left us to do, you've got to work on your passion. Passion drives. Passion motivates. Passion pushes. Passion will get you out of bed at 6 o'clock in the morning when you don't want to go to that workout. Passion will get you out of bed when you're feeling sick and you don't want to go to class, but you've got to drive for excellence in your grades. Passion will push you. We've got to work on our passion if we're going to be set in motion. But there's a second step to this progression. You don't just work on your passion. You've got to also labor in prayer. You've got to label in prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. Go back to the story, Nehemiah chapter 1, the second part of verse B. Nehemiah is weeping and he's mourning. And in the second half of verse 4, it says, And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And this prayer is off to a pretty rocking start, right? How many of you are already envious of Nehemiah's prayer life? Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are 
unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Talking about the king. Now I was cupbearer to the king. You've got to labor in prayer if you're going to be a kingdom Builder, Nehemiah's weeping and mourning soon turned into fasting and praying. His passion flowed into prayer. And that's just what God does if you will let him. He will channel your passion into prayer. And not just your ordinary prayer. I'm talking about powerful prayer. The words that are coming out of Nehemiah's mouth it's not just your average say my prayers before I go to bed at night kind of a prayer. Would you agree? It's filled with what? It's filled with passion. He's imploring. He's, in, he's begging God to do something. And when you get passionate about something in your life, it increases the passion in your prayer life as well. And if you will allow God to do this work, He will channel the passion that He has given you into the most powerful prayer life that you have ever experienced in your life. What we see here in the text is just a glimpse of one prayer Nehemiah spoke. Because I want you to understand, he actually prayed for months to God on behalf of his people in his home. This is just one prayer. There was months of this that took place in Nehemiah's life. He labored in prayer. And one thing in particular, I don't know if you noticed or not, one thing in particular that he prayed for, and I think it's important to see this, was success. He prayed for success. You know, it's important if we're going to be a part of building God's kingdom that we ask Him to give us success along the way. Nehemiah had an idea of what he wanted to do. He just wasn't sure how to carry it out. Can anybody relate? Anybody got a, what did you say? I got an idea of what I want to do. I just don't really know how to do it. Well, at the same time, I'm not real sure if that's what God wants me to do or not anyway. That's okay. You're in good company. Nehemiah had the same predicament going on. But you know what he did? He prayed. And when he didn't get an answer, you know what he did? He prayed. And when he didn't get an answer, you know what he did? Oh, you're catching on. Quick learners. Y'all were that student that meets with the professor after class over the 89, right? All y'all are like that. He prayed. He labored in prayer. He says day after day after day, I prayed and I asked God on behalf of my people, he had an idea, he just wasn't sure how to carry it out, but he knew success wasn't dependent upon him. It was God that would grant it to him. And I think that's a big deal because if success was dependent on us, then we'd take all the credit for the results. <clears throat> but if God grants it, then he gets the glory for it. And so Nehemiah prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and you might be, well, of course Nehemiah prayed, Trey. Didn't you read his job description, Joy? He's a cupbearer. Do you know what a cupbearer does? He's the guy that sat beside the king's throne, 
And every time before he got ready to take a drink, he would test it to make sure nobody had poisoned it. Oh yeah, of course Nehemiah was a praying man. Every drink he took could be his last. I'd be a praying man too if I was a cupbearer. He didn't pray for God to spare his life from his job. He prayed that God would grant him success in rebuilding the kingdom. I'm going to tell you guys, can I, can, I, can I let you in on something? If there is no seeking, there will be no success. Are y'all hearing this? I really hope you are. If there is no seeking, there will be no success. So we can put all the energy and the effort and the resources that we want to into being kingdom builders, but if we never hit our knees and cry out to God seeking Him in prayer, there will be no success in the endeavor. None. You won't see your friends and your family members and your co-workers and your teammates and your roommates and your classmates and your lab partners come to Jesus if you don't hit your knees and ask Him for success. It will not happen. I have never met somebody in my life that found Jesus apart from somebody praying for them somewhere. With no seeking, there's no success. And God convicted me so strongly of this the past few months. If you won't labor in prayer to God, you won't labor for the kingdom of God. And we might say that we will. Oh, yeah, man, I'll strap my boots up. I'll go to work for you, Jesus. But here's what I found. If you won't labor in prayer to God, you won't labor in the kingdom for God. It'll wear off eventually. You'll run out of gas. You'll run out of steam. You'll give up. You'll get disappointed. You'll get frustrated, and you'll be done. Matthew 21, 13, Jesus said that my house is to be a house of prayer, but we've lost touch with this truth, I'm afraid. Where are the people of God who will labor in prayer for their family? Where are the people of God who will labor in prayer for their friends? Where are the people of God that will labor in prayer for their teammates, for their co-workers, for their lap partners that they know are lost? Why won't we labor in prayer for people that we know if they would have breathed their last breath, they'd spend an eternity in hell? Why are prayer meetings the least attended church activities now? You want to have a low attendance night at church? Have a prayer meeting. I know it's not funny, but it's the truth. And tell me if I'm lying. And it stinks, right? Y'all are looking at me with this awful look on your face like, man, Trey's a bummer, dude. I thought you were going to rally us. I thought we were going to charge hell with a water pistol and be kingdom builders. And now you're sitting here just blowing us out and making us feel like dirt. I feel that way. We cannot be kingdom builders if we refuse to labor in prayer. Listen to me, men and women of God. It's time to set our prayer life in motion. It's time to give our prayer life a start-up. Set it in motion. The last part of this progression, I know it's been rough. This is the good part, though. We're going in on a high note. Everybody take a deep breath. Let it out. If you follow this progression, you begin to, to work on your passion, 
you begin to labor in prayer, then you'll be given a plan. Everybody say plan. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, now not like Ultima or Maxima or anything like that. This is really a reference to the first month of the year. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid and I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Nehemiah had an obvious passion for his people and to do something about the situation that they were in. He began praying and then finally he was given the plan, rebuild the wall, Nehemiah. The king asked, what are you requesting? And he prayed and God made it known to him. But here's how I want this to tie on together because this is so important, God, so stinking important. I can't overstate it. God saw that Nehemiah had a passion for the work and a willingness to labor in prayer. Then he gave him the plan. Did you hear me? God saw that Nehemiah had a passion for the work, and he saw that he was willing to labor in prayer. Then he gave him the plan. Rebuild the wall, Nehemiah. We see this progression in Nehemiah when he got the news of what was going on. Didn't you find it interesting? I did. That when Nehemiah got the news that the people were scattered, and that Jerusalem was smoking, and everything was ruined and distress and despair, his mind didn't instantly go to rebuild. Did you notice? Instead, he was burdened with passion, and then he prayed. Then he received the plan. So often we just want to jump to the, okay, God, just give me the plan part now. That's our default so often. God, just give me the plan. What's the plan, God? Just give me that. And that's the first thing that we ask him for, but we really have no passion for the work, and we haven't spent any effort in prayer. And we expect God to give us the plan? We got it backwards. Passion and prayer always precede the plan. Always. It's not always an easy startup. Sometimes it takes tragedy like what Nehemiah experienced to get us going. This is a real tragedy that Nehemiah had experienced. And sometimes God uses something like that in our lives to get us going. But here's what I've found. Even so recently, God can use tragedy to show you your trajectory. You know what a trajectory is? It's a path through space. God can take your tragedy and through that show you your trajectory for building his kingdom. Amen. And that's good stuff. Southern, Southern style. That's good stuff right there. There. There it is. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is awful. I'm sorry. 
God uses this progression to set us in motion for the building of his kingdom. You see it in scripture, let me show you. It's just, trust me, Nehemiah is not a unique case. You can, you can piece this together in scripture. I'm gonna give you some verses that are not gonna be on the screen, and I'm not even gonna read them. I'm just gonna tell you the context of it. But you can go back and see it for yourself, trust me. You can test me on it. In John chapter four, verse 35, Jesus had just had this conversation with the woman at the well, and the disciples come back in. And as the people are coming out of the city to come and see Jesus, he tells his disciples this. He says, look at the fields. They're white for harvest. Passion. He was trying to get his disciples to get passionate about something. Look at the fields. Look around you, men and women. Look at your campus. Look at your dorms. Look at your classmates. Look at your teammates. Look at your lab partners. Look at your family. The fields are white for harvest, passion. Matthew 9, 38, Jesus told the disciples to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Now, if we're going to ask God for something, what would we call that? Prayer. Ask the Lord to send out laborers. Look, the fields are white. Let's get a passion for the people that we see around us. Now, let's ask God to send out laborers. Prayer. Then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, after Jesus had spent his time with his disciples, his teaching ministry was over. He had been crucified. He had come back to life. He had appeared to his disciples at the very beginning of Acts. He shows up and he tells them, you guys will receive power when my spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, and all the ends of the earth. In essence, Jesus was saying, I will use you as my witnesses' plan. Passion, prayer, then comes the plan. You can't pick up the hammer until you have a plan. You can't receive the plan until you pray. And most of the time, you won't pray without developing a passion. So I'm asking that the Lord gives us a self-startup because it's time that we get set into motion for the building of His kingdom. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through his word here at Life.